Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning, everyone. So glad to see you here in the worship center and those of you who are watching online. Though we cannot see you, we're glad that you could be a part of the worship this morning here and resonate at Magnolia's First. Uh, Though in recent days I've been restricted from long-distance travel, I'm very grateful that in years past, Cindy and I have been privileged to visit some of the most beautiful and interesting places on the planet. From the, the mountaintops of Colorado and Switzerland all the way down to the deep recesses of the earth in Carlsbad Caverns. By the way, anybody else out there visited Carlsbad Caverns? Can I yeah, a few of you. Well, I don't know if your tour guide did this, but when ours got us to the deepest spot of the, the caverns, he said, in just a moment, we're going to turn off the lights and you're going to experience the deepest darkness you have ever known. And they did, and we did. I mean, it was so dark that you could not see your hand in front of your face. Uh, And even if you have not traveled from the mountaintops to the deepest depths of the earth, geographically, most if not all of you experientially have had mountaintop times in your life and you've had times of deep pits in the experience of your life. And for most people in the general population, and sadly even for many who are Christ followers, their attitude, their outlook, their happiness in life is based on where they find themselves at any given moment. If they're on the mountaintop, they're happy, but if they're in the pits, then they're they're just mired in despair. And what the Apostle Paul writes to the early church in Philippi, as well as to our church today, is that our outlook, our attitude, our happiness should not be based on our present experience. As Americans, we are uh, guaranteed life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but, but happiness is an elusive pursuit. You can think you've grasped it, and it escapes your grasp, and there is something better. There's something deeper. (coughs) I'm sorry, y'all. Allergies is driving me crazy. Will you forgive me if I take a drink every now and then? As I was saying, there is something deeper and something better. And that's what Paul's letter to the Philippians is all about. He calls it joy. Joy is not rooted in our experience at any given moment. Joy is rooted in our relationship with Jesus Christ and the security that we find in him no matter what we're going through in life. Now, let me remind you just a little bit of the background of this letter from Paul to the church at Philippi. Paul was the founding pastor of the church. We saw that two weeks ago 
from the book of Acts. And, and they loved the Apostle Paul, though he had gone on to do work in other places. And then he found himself imprisoned in Rome as he writes back to them. There was a deep love between the people and the pastor uh, of that church, and they were concerned for him that he had been put in prison for no good reason, no legal reason at all. He was in prison, and so they were concerned about him. In fact, they were bewildered about this servant of God, this giant of the faith who found himself in a Roman prison. And so as we pick up the text from where we left off last week with Dr. Roger Yancey's uh, message to you, we are in Philippians 1, beginning with verse 12, and we find the Apostle Paul responding to their concern about his situation. Verse 12, he said, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. In other words, he's saying, I, I know you're worried, I know you're concerned, I, I know this confuses and troubles you, but I want to set your mind at ease that what has happened to me here was not by accident, that what has happened to me and where I find myself is not without reason, it's not without purpose. God had a plan for this, and so instead of being discouraged and in despair and in self-pity, I rejoice that God is using this time to spread the gospel. And here's the lesson for us. There'll be many in the passage today, but here's the first. As a Christ follower, you can pursue happiness or you can choose joy. You can chase happiness or you can choose joy. It's a matter of your attitude and outlook. Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl said this, one of my favorite quotes. He said, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. The Apostle Paul could have chosen to focus upon the injustice that had been thrust upon him. The Apostle Paul could have chosen to focus upon the discomfort that there was in being shackled to, to Roman guards in eight-hour shifts, three guards every day. But instead, he chose to focus on what God was doing because he had chosen to allow Paul to be imprisoned. It's a different outlook. It's a different understanding that if you are a Christ follower, God is sovereign. God is in control of your life. And one of the most well-known scriptures is one we don't take to heart as much as we should. The Apostle Paul wrote it too. It's from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 28, where he said, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, not everything that happens to us is good. Can I get an amen there? 
Not everything that happens to us is good. As a matter of fact, some things that happen to us are horrible. Some things are tragic. Some things are deeply painful. But what Paul is saying there is that God will use all of those experiences and environments of our life for his sovereign purpose, for his good and his glory. That he can bring good even out of the worst tragedy. And so going back to Philippians 1, here's Paul's outlook. Here's his attitude. Here's how he's framing his imprisonment. Verse 13, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. In other words, what he was saying is, because I'm here, I've had a captive audience every eight hours on rotating shifts to tell them about Jesus. And everybody throughout the whole, he was imprisoned in a prison that was connected to Caesar's palace in Rome. And word had spread that here was this man who was imprisoned only because he preached Jesus. And he had the greatest attitude. And people wanted to know what was different about him. And that's still true today. So how can we have that kind of perspective How how do do we kind of work that up and make that happen in our lives? Can I I just tell you, we can't. That's, That's just not possible for us on our own because we're not wired that way. We are hardwired to be sinful and selfish. We are hardwired to ask, what's in it for me? How can this make me more comfortable? How can... I get my way out of this. That's that's the way our sinful selves are wired. But if we allow the Spirit of God to transform the way we think, then we'll learn like Paul how to frame things differently. I want to go back to the book of Romans for a moment and look at what Paul said in Romans 12, verse 2. Familiar verse. He said, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. In other words, don't be like everybody else. Don't act like people who don't know Christ. But let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How could Paul have that attitude when he was unjustly imprisoned? Because he had come to understand that was God's will for him at that moment. That was part of all things that God was working together for good in his life. It was a part of what God was choosing to use as his plan to reveal Christ and bring him glory through Paul, even in prison. And that was hard for those around him who were believers to to understand. And and Luke and some others who were with him perhaps uh, said to him, but Paul, 
You're stuck here in this prison, and there are people out there that are preaching the gospel, but they're turning it into a commercial enterprise. They're turning it into a way of making money for themselves. They're preaching the message, but they're not preaching it with the right motives. Paul, shouldn't we do something about that? And so back to Philippians 1, he responds in verse 15. He said, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know that I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful for me. In other words, he's recognizing, yes, there are people out there that are in it to, to gain for themselves. There are people out there who are preaching the gospel, yeah, but, but they're really living high on the hog as they do it. Can I tell you that's still true today? That there are people who are preaching the message but with wrong motives? And so does Paul say to Luke and the others, okay, guys, here's the plan. We're going to take them down. No. He says, their motives may not be right, but their message is, and that's what matters. Verse 18, but that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. You see, Paul's obsession in life, his passion in life, his goal in life was not to be comfortable or to be wealthy. He was all of those things in his old life. He had position, he had power, he had money as a Pharisee, and he later would go on to say, I count that all as rubbish. Actually, he used a word that was more rude than that, that I won't say in public. He said, all of that is just waste compared to the, the greatness of knowing Christ. And so his obsession became that Christ would be made known through his life. Is that your obsession? Is that what drives you? That people would see Jesus in you? Every Christ follower should learn that the most important thing they can do is not to gain for themselves, but to let Jesus be shown through them. And so as Paul is in prison, like every pastor, he coveted their prayers. Verse 19 of Philippians 1, he said, For I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. He says, I know you're praying for me, and I believe because of your prayers, I'm going to be set free from this prison. I just have this, this inner conviction in my heart. I have hope, and now, not hope in the sense that this world talks about hope. When we say, well, I hope this will happen. I hope the stock, stock market goes back up. Or, or I hope my investment will be productive, or I, I hope I make this team, or I hope I get this job, and, but we don't know. And it's not that kind of hope, but 
Hope in the biblical sense is confident assurance based upon the promises of God. And he had hope that God would be gracious and that he would be released. Now, he was released, and he would go on to do great work for the Lord. But then there would come a time later on in Paul's life, now follow me on this, there would come a time later on when he would be arrested again. He would be imprisoned again. This time not in the, the prison next to the palace. He would be put in the worst dungeon, the Mamertine dungeon in Rome. And from there, he would be executed. And I want you to hear the very different sense of what Paul understood God was doing when it's later on now toward the end of his life and he is writing a letter back to a young pastor named Timothy that he had trained in the ministry and taught how to live for Christ and to lead the church for Christ. And he wrote him a letter that we know as 2 Timothy. So hear the heart of the Apostle Paul at this later time, 2 Timothy 4, 5 through 8. He says to his young pastor friend, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Now, listen to these personal words. He said, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The jar is empty. The life has been poured out. He said, the time of my death is near. Then I love his attitude in verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Don't you want to be able to say that at the end? Whenever that end comes, it's 50 years from now, or if it's tomorrow, to be able to say, Lord, I've not done it perfectly, but I've fought the good fight. I've kept after it. I've finished the race you gave me to run. And with God's help, I've remained faithful. There's nothing better in life. And because he could say that, he could say this in verse 8, and now the prize awaits me. <laughs> the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. When Paul wrote 2 Timothy, he knew his race was finished. But earlier, back to when he wrote Philippians, he had that inner sense, it was not yet done. Even if death came, he was ready to face it. So back to Philippians 1, verse 20. He said, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. He's saying, I believe I'll be released, but even if I'm not, even if this is my time, it's okay. 
verse 21. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. How can you say that? Dying is even better. Well, I want to share with you the words of the great theologian and guitar player Vince Gill, <laughs> who probably wrote this song for his wife, Amy. Here are his lyrics. What's the worst thing that could happen if they say my time is through? Can they take away the love or the years I've shared with you? What's the worst thing that could happen? What's the worst that they can do? Threaten me with heaven? It's all they can do. Threaten me with heaven if they want to. Threaten me with heaven. I believe that it's true. Threaten me with heaven. I'll be waiting on you. Preach it, Brother Vince. I love that. That was the attitude of the Apostle Paul. Philippians 1 verse 22, Paul says, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So, just hear his heart here. I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. Paul is saying, I'm not afraid of death. I'm confident my mansion is ready. The construction is completed. The furnishings are all in. It's just waiting for me. And so, if this is my time, it's, it's a promotion. I can't lose. Either way, whether I live or die, it's a win. Can I tell you only a Christ follower can look at it that way? Only a follower of Jesus. He's saying, I know that heaven would be better for me than this Roman imprisonment, but if this is not yet my time, if my race is not yet done, I will spend whatever time I have left letting people hear about Jesus. He says in verse 24, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so that I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. You allow me just a personal word here that Cindy and I can identify with the Apostle Paul's heart here because all these 30-plus years we've spent together, our desire was not to become famous or build a mega church or, or, or whatever. Our desire was that you would grow in the joy and in the knowledge and in the faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And that's the desire of whoever shall follow me as pastor of this church. That's the desire of the pastoral team of, of this church and the deacons of this church and the leaders of this church to grow you, to see the Holy Spirit work in your heart so that you might know, as Paul says to them, more and more about how to live for Jesus. Verse 26, and when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride, not in Paul, 
to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. And then Paul closes this passage with four verses in which he challenges them about how to live, and he challenges us to. Stay with me. Verse 27. He says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the gospel, the good news. Paul's message here is simple. You are a Christ follower. You must act like it. You must not get so wrapped up in things that don't really matter. Paul says to them, don't become distracted from his gospel by fighting the wrong battles. Don't get so wrapped up in your own opinions or your own ideas or your own desires that it becomes divisive in the church. But stay united because remember, we are together in a war. Probably the most united times in the history of America were times of war because the American people united against a common enemy that threatened their very freedom. Well, we as Christ followers are in a war, not against other people, not against somebody with a different ideology. We, we are involved in a spiritual battle for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. And that's why when you see children dedicated and you see a, a precious young lady baptized. We need to rejoice because those are victories in the war. And we need to fight that faithfully because there are people all around us, people in your family, people in your neighborhood, people in your circle of influence at work or school who do not know Jesus and their only hope is the gospel. It's the gospel. And it's not an easy war to fight, Paul says in verse 28. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in the struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. Can I just let you in on a secret? If you live faithfully for Christ, if you have a biblical worldview, if you believe the Bible is the Word of God, and you take a stand for that, you're going to face opposition. And our culture that's becoming more and more secular and more and more unfriendly to the things of God, you're going to have those that oppose you if you stand firm on what the Word of God has to say. And while we should treat everybody with respect, everybody with kindness, we should always show others grace, 
we must not compromise the truth of God. That God is real and Jesus is his son and there's only one way to heaven through faith in him and there's only one source of knowing his truth and it is the scripture, the word of God. And if you stand for that, you will face opposition. But we must face it by showing unconditional love balanced by uncompromised conviction. Being right does not give us the right to be condescending or self-righteous. It instead should mean that we are filled with the Spirit of God, which manifests itself in love and truth. So what is Paul saying? How do we wrap this up and summarize it and try to take from here Paul's message? Let me quickly give you three statements, and then we're done. Here's the first. When God allows you to go through difficulties, acknowledge the pain to God, but look for how he might want to use it. Having a Christian worldview does not mean that you deny that things are painful, but if you believe Romans 8, 28, whenever you go through pain, Say to the Lord, Lord, this hurts, but I just believe there's some way that you want to use it. And I will endure the pain if you'll show me what it is that you want me to learn or you want me to be or you want me to do. That's suffering for Jesus. Here's the second statement. Put the Lord and his gospel first and trust him to take care of you in life, and even in death. In life and even in death. This week I officiated two funeral services of longtime members of our church, both faithful Christians. And I said to the people who were gathered there, whenever you come to this point in life's journey, And unless Jesus returns in our lifetime, we're all going to come to that point. It may be tomorrow, it may be 50, 60, 70 years from now, but we will all come to that point. And when we come to that point, the only thing that matters is do we know Jesus Christ? The only thing that matters. Trust him in life and even in death. One final statement. When God gives you the opportunity to stand up and speak up for him, ask him for the courage to do it well. When in your relationships, God opens a door of opportunity for you to speak a faithful word about what Christ means to you and could mean to them, whisper a prayer to the Holy Spirit to give you the right words and then trust him to do the work. Don't be afraid to speak up for the one who died for you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the rich truth and the practical application of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I pray that we would take it to heart, that we would be able to say that we've fought the good fight 
we finish the race, and we remain faithful when we, like Paul, come to the end of our journey. Father, I thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you that with all the burdens that have been carried into this room, you are sufficient for everyone. And as we close this service with a brief time of prayer, I pray that if someone is here that has a need, that they would bring it to the altar and pray with one of us at the front. I pray that if there's someone who knows they need to take a step toward Jesus, maybe that first step, maybe that step toward baptism, maybe that step toward a recommitment of a life to Christ, whatever it might be, if there's someone that needs to take a next step in their faith journey, help them to have the courage to come to one of our deacons and wives who will be standing at the front and just say, I need to take the next step. We'll show them how. Lord, I pray for those who are here today and they're sick and they need your healing. Make them willing to come and allow me to anoint them and for Cindy and I to pray over them. We give you these brief moments as we conclude the service in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Our Dickens and their wives are coming in the front to be available to pray with you. If you have a need, bring it to the altar today. If you're sick, come, and I would be honored to anoint you. If not, would you just spend these moments in prayer for someone here who needs to take a step toward Christ?